All right, join me in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, if you would. Matthew chapter number 12. We'll be looking at several verses here. I believe there are just a couple of verses on your uh, handout, and those are the verses really that we're going to primarily focus on this morning. But for context's sake, we're going to back up to about verse number 9. Uh, and begin there. And so if, as you find your place there, Matthew uh, chapter number 12, and we'll begin here in verse number 9. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days, that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment unto the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets, a bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Verse number 15 again. But when Jesus knew it, <clears throat> he withdrew himself from thence. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. I want to speak to you this morning on the thought, as we begin this new year, don't let go. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you again this morning, Lord, what a wonderful opportunity uh, we're afforded each and every day to begin fresh and anew. Lord, there's not a morning in this year that's past or the year that's come in which your mercies are not renewed to us, in which we cannot get up and seek your forgiveness and begin every day afresh and anew. But Lord, there's something about the first of a year, the beginning of a year, that causes us to be a little bit more uh, cognizant of the fact that that's true. And Lord, as we begin a new chapter in 2021, I pray that you would help us to uh, not just live life aimlessly and not to spend it foolishly, but that we would invest our lives in your work and in our relationships with you. I pray this morning that you'd meet with us, that you would illuminate our, our mind's eye to the truths of this passage. Lord, I pray that you'd give us encouragement. I pray that you'd challenge us. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be open and receptive to your leading and working in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name and amen. You know, as we look here, Jesus has uh, constantly come across these Pharisees and uh, in the early chapter, early parts of verse number 12, he declares himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath. And, uh, and that doesn't set well with the, the Sadducees and Pharisees. They, uh, as we were made aware or reminded of last week with a missionary, they really placed the, the spoken law, the Talmud, above even the power and the authority of the written word. Uh, and so they were the enforcers of it. They, they were the originators of it. They, 
uh, were the ones that lorded it over everyone and policed everyone with it. And so the Pharisees are here and they are looking for a way to trip him up. They, they're always looking for a gotcha moment with Jesus. They're always trying to bait him into some act or some question. And that's the case here. When we find him here, he leaves one place of, uh, of, of being challenged and enters another. He comes into a place uh, of worship. He comes to a synagogue. And as he comes into the synagogue, he comes to teach and to, uh, to preach and to uh, consider the word of God. And when he's there in the crowd, there's a man that has a withered hand. Now there's apparently a great number of people here, either crowded inside or even gathered around the outside of the building, uh, which we don't see much today, but even a uh, hundred years or so ago, that was not an uncommon thing for, uh, you know, very well-known uh, preachers to, you know, Charles Spurgeon's church in London. Oftentimes the, the crowds were so great that they opened the windows and people would gather outside the windows so that they could hear what was going on inside because the building wouldn't contain everyone. Oftentimes you would see uh, big revival meetings under a tent and people would be uh, flowing out. It wasn't large enough to contain the crowds. And, uh, and so we don't relate as well to that today. We don't see that as often and so we, uh, we look here and it's, it's very likely as the multitudes followed Jesus wherever he went. I think it's pretty well understood that there are a lot of people that followed Jesus simply because it was a good form of entertainment. And they just wanted to see what he was going to do. Uh, if you lived in a time when, and that's hard for us to relate to as well, because especially if you're under the age of probably 40, uh, you grew up with a cell phone in your hand and, uh, and, and you've had constant distraction every moment of the day. I mean, most people today, if, uh, if, uh, you know, but as a, if a conversation dies for about two seconds, they're back in their faces buried in a phone. You can't stop at a traffic light without picking it up and checking, uh, something. I mean, we're just constantly, our minds constantly engaged, but, uh, you know, they didn't have that kind of technology back in these days. And when Jesus was on the earth, it was, uh, uh, you know, entertainment wasn't, there was no TV, there was no radio, there was nothing uh, to do. So this preacher coming through and able to touch lives and heal people, uh, it's just the prospect of the, that something that out of the ordinary taking place would be enough for a lot of people to drop what they're doing and to uh, come and see the crowd. And so there are a lot of people that follow Jesus for a lot of reasons. And sometimes they followed him uh, simply because they wanted to see the show. Sometimes they followed him because they had a need. Sometimes they followed him because they were, uh, maybe they thought that, that they were hungry and he would, he had fed people in the past. And in this case, uh, they're at a synagogue. It's more likely that people were here sincerely wanting to learn and to worship God and uh, to learn what Jesus had to say as he taught. And uh, certainly his reputation was such that he taught differently than the rabbis. He taught as one that had authority, the Bible says, on a number of occasions. And so uh, there's a crowd here. There's a great multitude here, the Bible states in verse number 15. But in that crowd is a man who has a withered hand. And as Jesus is teaching and as the Pharisees are interacting here, uh, <clears throat> and they, they bait him with a question about the Sabbath day. Now the Sabbath was very sacred to the Jews and it's important to note as well, if you're a little bit less familiar with the Bible, that a Sabbath day typically was Saturday. Uh, it would begin on Friday night at sundown and run until Saturday evening at sundown. And 
During that time, they were very restricted in what they could do. They, would, they didn't even cook. They prepared food the day before uh, so that it was a day of rest. It was a day of mental and physical and spiritual restoration. And, uh, and so they had that. Uh, sometimes when you see the Sabbath listed in the Bible, there are many other days that were Sabbath days. So you had days uh, around different feasts that they would have throughout the course of the year. Uh, and those days, many of those days were considered to be Sabbaths as well. It wasn't a traditional Saturday Sabbath. So sometimes you have to kind of understand, and it's important to the context of a particular passage, what is, is this Sabbath talking about a Saturday or a different day? Uh, in this case, uh, it, it really doesn't matter. It's just, it, it's a Sabbath of whatever sort. It seems to be more the traditional Saturday uh, Sabbath here. And as they worship and he looks out, this man with a withered hand, the Pharisees look and say, hey, is it lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath? They try to ask the question innocently, but it's a setup question. It's a, it's a gotcha question. If Jesus doesn't answer to their satisfaction, then they uh, are going to cast stones at him and they're going to try to discredit him. Uh, and so Jesus says, listen, uh, who among you wouldn't go and get your sheep out of a ditch if he fell into a pit or the ditch on a Sabbath. Everyone would. It's their, it's their livelihood. It's their money. It's their wealth. It's the symbol of, uh, of, uh, of what's important to them. And by the way, the Old Testament law that they live by uh, allowed for things of that nature to take place on the Sabbath. If you had livestock that was in harm's way, uh, you weren't expected to let it die and wait. If it were to die overnight till the next day, it was completely permissible under the law to get help or whatever you had to do to rescue. Uh, you were to do as minimal amount as you had to do to get it out, but you could, you could do that on the Sabbath. And so Jesus answers them and he says, is it, uh, is it, you know, you take care of your sheep? Is this man, is a man's life not, is not more valuable or more important than a sheep? And then to demonstrate the point, Jesus looks at the man with a withered hand and he says, sir, stretch your hand out. And in front of all of them, that hand that was withered is restored. I've mentioned from time to time a young man that I went to college, to school with and uh, I think probably around the, it may be around the ninth or 10th grade and that particular Christian school that I went to uh, had a few hundred kids in it and every year the first week of school was camp and we had a guy uh, that had a birth defect with both of his hands were very withered and his I mean basically it was just skin stretched over bone on his from his elbow down and uh, he had little straps with a fork and a spoon uh, on his wrist so that he could kind of scoop out of a bowl and feed himself but uh, there were there were his parents didn't come there were teachers that had to take care of him uh, I mean he couldn't really do anything as far as uh, hygiene or, uh, you know, taking a shower, any of those types of things. He had to have assistance with all of those types of things, but he just plodded along and did the best that he could out of life. And everywhere that he went, his hands were withered and drawn like this and folded under. And uh, he just, but he always was happy. He always had joy of the Lord. And I just, whenever I read passages like this, it's someone personally that I knew that had that type of a thing. And just imagining Jesus there at a chapel service saying, uh, you know, calling his name and saying, stretch out your hands. And immediately they straighten and the flesh fill out the skin and uh, everything functions normally. That's what takes place here. This is a tremendous gift from God. This is a tremendous miracle that Jesus performs in the midst of these people. And all that they can feel and all that they can see is rage and, and ire at the fact that Jesus did this on the Sabbath. 
There's no joy that this young man's life was changed forever. There's no joy that God was glorified. There's no joy that uh, a need was met miraculously that no one else could meet. And you see the fallacy, the fault, the problem in their state of, the, of their spiritual life and their walk with God when they cannot rejoice at someone having such a wonderful thing done for them. And so Jesus says, listen, you would take care of your sheep. This man is more important. And just to make my point clear, sir, stretch out your hand and he's healed. Now their response is that they withdraw and they begin to commune and counsel about how they can kill Jesus, how they can destroy him. And so when we look and we see here, Jesus then withdraws. When he realizes, the Bible says, uh, that this is what they're doing, then he withdrew himself from the synagogue, from thence, and he went somewhere else. Now we're going to touch really largely on that verse this morning. But I would say this this morning, that as we look at the, the state here of the response of the spiritual crowd, the church-going crowd, the, uh, the religious leadership crowd to have such consternation against God doing such a, a marvelous thing. Uh, listen, it's always a good thing to do the right thing. It's never wrong to do right. And so when we look and we consider those things, and you know, sometimes you've heard said, I'm sure, uh, that it's never, uh, right, it's never right to do wrong to get an opportunity to do right. But it's also never wrong to do right. Bob Jones Sr. famously said all throughout his ministry, do right, do right, till the stars fall, do right. And a Christian's life should be marked by doing the right thing. And it should be marked by always making a decision that pleases the Lord. And, and, and we should be excited and overjoyed when people do that and whenever God blesses the effort. But that's not the Pharisees here. So Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees on one hand that want literally his head on a platter. And then he's dealing with a crowd of people here who seemingly are here for the right reasons and in many cases are there for the right reasons, but no doubt in a crowd that's described as a great multitude, there are some people there that are just kind of casual observers. So there's opportunities that are, that are taking place. And as Jesus begins to speak and, uh, and then they withdraw and he leaves, essentially what he's doing is he's saying, listen, you are my followers. You have followed me here. You've listened to me teach. You've seen the miracles. You've heard the word of God. Uh, now I'm going to withdraw. Now I'm going to step back. And there comes a point in time in every leader's life and relationship to someone that they're training, whether it's um, in the military or whether it's a, a coach and a ball player or whether it's in the business world or whether it's in a medical profession, whatever it is, once someone has been going through a period of training, there comes a point in time when the trainer has to step back from the trainee to see if they can actually use what they've been taught and they know what they're doing and they can be put to the test. And I want you to consider this morning that essentially what Jesus is doing here is he is stepping back. And in stepping back, those disciples are being tested. They're being proven. Why are you here? 
What's important to you? How committed are you to the cause? Are you willing to make sacrifices? Because he's got a group of leaders that they all respect and fear that want him dead. He withdraws. They're there. What is their response going to be? And I'm just saying this morning that there's going to come points and times in the lives of God's people when you're going to feel as if Jesus has stepped back from you and you're going to wonder where he went. And he's still there. He hasn't abandoned you. But you have to realize that sometimes when you've been reading and you've been being taught and you've been hearing preaching and you've been making application to your life, that if God is always carrying you and he never steps back so that you can stand up on your own two feet and try to make decisions about how you're going to stand, you'll never be able to survive in adversity. God is simply lovingly pushing us out of the nest that we might learn not to not live without leaning on him, but to not be so reliant upon him that we sit around doing nothing for a lifetime. Listen, we are to be busy, engaged in his work and serving him. In whatever capacity that means, maybe your avenue of service is prayer. I look around the room this morning, there are people here that your best avenue of service to the Lord at this stage of your life and with your physical infirmities is prayer. And we need you desperately to be holding those that are young enough and strong enough and able enough uh, to go out and to uh, do some of the more physical laborious aspects of ministry. They desperately need you to carry them in prayer. And when we look and we see here what Jesus is doing, he's saying, listen, they're after me. I'm going to withdraw. And, and so as he withdraws, he's seizing the moment to test his followers to prove them. Three thoughts about this this morning as we see here in verse number 15. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew. And so the first thing that we see, and if you're keeping notes this morning, simply is that he withdrew himself. He withdrew himself. I don't know about you, but I, from time to time, go through, through moments in my spiritual life where I, I feel like I'm, I'm praying, I'm studying, I'm preparing, <coughs> I'm I'm committed, I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do in the Christian life. And sometimes it seems like Jesus is sitting right there beside me. And sometimes I'm looking over my shoulder trying to figure out where he's at. It's just, I feel disconnected. It's a time of spiritual drought. It's a time of... Uh, of spiritual dearth. It's a time where uh, maybe I've gotten complacent. Maybe uh, there's something in my life that I'm not, the Holy Spirit's not made me aware of yet that's kind of drained my relationship with him uh, and the connection with him. Perhaps he's just withdrawn himself to see if I'm committed enough to continue doing what I'm supposed to do. If I'm really, uh, if, I, if I'm in it just because I'm getting something from him or am I in it because I love him and I serve him, uh, whether I get anything out from him or not. But he withdrew himself. What did he withdraw himself from? I want you to notice that he withdraws himself from the synagogue. He, where is he? He's in the synagogue. And when he realized he withdrew himself from thence. So what did he withdraw from? He withdrew from this place of worship. I'm just saying that he's showing us here that there may be some times in our life that even as we worship him, we may not always feel as close to him as we do at other times. He withdrew. He withdrew and he goes to another place. And so he leaves the meeting place. And so they've got to decide what they're going to do. Now, there are a lot of things that they could do, and some of them, no doubt, left and just went home. 
There are some of them that no doubt just kind of took up and uh, decided I'm going to go and uh, this is too much for me or the show's over or whatever. But the majority of them follow him. Now, it's not the only time that we see people follow him. There's uh, times whenever he's done great works and he's, he's done miracles and he's fed them and that he leaves. And sometimes he even went by ship to another place and they would follow him across land when they found out where he went because he fed them and they just wanted more from him. Uh, and then so there, there's there's people that follow the Lord for insincere or for the wrong reasons. They, they just follow because, hey. I can get. There are a lot of people that go to church because they can make business contacts. They don't church, choose small churches like ours, but uh, a lot of large churches, mega churches are filled with uh, not everyone that's there, but many people go there because they can network their business contacts there. Uh, a lot of times people come because, uh, you know, the church is generous and help them uh, one time, uh, you know, pay a light bill or uh, help them get some groceries whenever they didn't have any or, uh, or, or did some things like that. And so, well, uh, you know, if I just keep going back and, and, you know, sometimes people will come in and try to take advantage of that kind of generosity and they don't really have a need. They're just trying to use uh, an avenue. We get phone calls all the time. There are far more people that need help than we're able to help. But sometimes that's what people come to church for. They don't come because they really want to grow or know the truth. They just come because they, they need something and they're hopeful that that need uh, will be met there. And what I'm saying this morning is that Jesus removes himself from the synagogue. He, he withdraws from the meeting place. Now you ought to have more meeting places with God than this auditorium. We ought to have a meeting place in a Sunday school class somewhere. We ought to have a meeting place in our homes. You ought to have, uh, there are many places that you can have in your life where you regularly meet with and worship the Lord. Uh, and the places that are set aside just for that purpose even, where it's a sacred place that's just for you and the Lord. Uh, but when we have to realize that sometimes uh, Jesus may, uh, may leave that meeting place. And if Jesus leaves the meeting place, are you going to follow him? If Jesus withdraws, am I following him? Am I following man? Am I following uh, tradition? Am I following, and listen, not every tradition is a bad tradition. Not every tradition is a bad thing. And we ought to follow God's, the, the leaders that God gives us so long as they're following Christ is the way the Apostle Paul put it. But when the, when the bottom line, when it comes down to it, if Jesus withdraws, am I going to follow him? Am I going to be hungry for him? Do I have an appetite from him. So he would, he flees or he removes himself from the synagogue. He doesn't flee, but he leaves. He removes himself. He leaves the meeting place. Secondly, he removes himself in so doing from the people. <coughs> They're there to worship him. They're there to hear from him. He leaves. He steps back. And so he leaves them corporately as a, as a congregation, but he also leaves them individually. So what's their response? So we see here that as he withdraws, they have to choose. What will we choose? We see in verse number 15 again where he comes and he says, But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him. And so they, they, they chose to follow him. And so my question to us this morning is, when the Lord withdraws, will we follow? In other words, will I seek after him? Am I content... When I feel as if my spiritual life is dried up, am I content to just adjust to it or will I pursue him? Am I content to live without him? Can I adjust 
to live without him, even though he's still there. If I don't sense him, if I'm not in tune with him, if I'm not engaged with him, will, will I pursue him? Listen, Jesus came to seek and save sinners. The apostle Paul said, of whom I am chief. But there comes a point in time when we've been sought and we've been saved and we've been learning and we've been growing that if Jesus steps back, perhaps he wants to know, will you seek me? You know, sometimes we get caught up into things where, where and churches get caught up to where they're just trying to cater to what the public wants. And, and, and the, the reality is, is that what needs to be catered to is what the public needs and what the public needs is Jesus. What the public needs is truth. They may not want it. They may not listen to it. Pastor, you'll never pastor a large church with that attitude. My goal in life is not to pastor a large church. My goal in life is to do God's will and to pastor people that have a hunger for truth. It doesn't matter how big the crowd is if the crowd's not interested in the truth. It doesn't matter how much truth you preach if, if the crowd's not willing to hear and accept the truth. It, it doesn't matter how eloquent you can speak if, uh, if all people want is a pep talk and a feel-good story to go home to and live their week by. Listen, we have to preach the truth of the entire counsel of God. That means that we have to be confronted about our sin, that we have to realize that there's sin in our lives that separates us from God, that hinders God's blessing in our life, that hinders God's ability to answer our prayer. There's sin in our life, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that is going to condemn your soul to an eternal lake of fire one day if you don't accept the gift of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so what happens here is that Jesus withdraws himself, but there are multiple Multitudes that are so hungry for him that they follow him. Yeah. Amen. How long this morning, can, can you look back and can you answer this question, how long has it been since you were hungry for Jesus? When we get into this time of the year, I, and I love, I love Thanksgiving, Christmas, and all of that, and now it's behind us, but uh, I'm telling you, when we go through that time of the year, uh, there's a lot of good food, too much of it. Amen. And I eat too much of it. And I go through periods of time and I've had periods of times where, you know, I get to lunchtime and I feel like I'm, I'm going to faint because I'm starving to death uh, and haven't had anything. And I just, it's just, you know, it's wearing on you. And then I go through periods of time uh, like the last several weeks where I look back and think, you know, I can't even remember the last time I was hungry. Because I've just been grazing for about six weeks now. I've just been, if I walk by something and it's, and it's sitting still, I pick it up and take a bite of it. And so, uh, you know, it's just like it's there and it's available and you're just kind of going through life and you're just grazing and you're never really hungry and you're just complacent and you're, you're filled up on everything around you. But then uh, whenever something really good is prepared, uh, you partake, but you really don't enjoy it to the fullest and you don't and you, and you could kind of take it or leave it because you're not hungry. And sometimes we're not hungry for the things of God. Because we're just so full of the junk of this world. There's no room left spiritually in us for the things of God. Sometimes, but New Year's Eve, <clears throat> my son Jason that was our music leader and, and Aaron, our pianist that moved to Arizona, uh, that New Year's Eve was their last night. They flew home on New Year's Day. And, and so we typically on New Year's Eve, uh, my wife, I'm, I mean, I'm the type of person that I'll, would just soon go to bed, right? But I married a Puerto Rican woman, and Puerto Ricans like New Year's Eve. They like to stay up and see in the new year. It's been a really big thing, uh, and so we stay up. And so, you know, we, we typically are uh, right there. when It doesn't take long after midnight for us to go to bed, but, once, but until midnight comes in, you better not fall asleep on a couch somewhere. 
and so we typically will have like cheese dip and some queso and, and she'll make empanadas and she'll make other stuff. And uh, it's just really, it's just a lot of junk food to just kind of munch on and we'll play dominoes or other things until uh, the new year gets there. And uh, well, Jason decided that since it was his last supper, uh, that he uh, uh, that he wanted fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy and uh, and so she's in the kitchen and she's cooking away and uh, and she gets to about the end of the chicken and all of a sudden uh, she's sick and so she comes to me and she says I'm I'm I, I can't finish the meal. I'm sick. And so she goes and, uh, and she just had flu-like symptoms. It's not COVID. She's just she's feeling better now, but she's kind of keeping away to keep everybody protected. But she was throwing up. And, uh, and so I'm finishing supper and making gravy and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and you know, she, she didn't need any of it. And really, the next day, Friday, she, uh, she or was it Saturday? Friday said whatever day it was she uh, she didn't eat much she made some broccoli soup and uh, that's all she had she didn't have a desire for anything because she was sick we all know what that's like and when I had COVID this summer for six weeks I didn't want anything and so for for 20 days of fever and uh, four weeks of practically being bedridden or chair ridden uh, and, and even a couple of weeks after I started trying to get up and move around, I, re I had no appetite. I had no desire to eat anything. It took me 30 minutes to eat three crackers so that I could take some medicine. I just couldn't, did, did no desire because I was ill. I wonder this morning, perhaps this morning your case is not that you're not hungry for Jesus because you're full in the junk of this world. Perhaps your problem and my problem at times can be that I'm just sick, that I've got a spiritual virus. By the way, that's sin. And the difference would be is that sometimes we have sin in our life that we look at and we say, hey, I know that that's sin. I know that that's hindering my, my relationship with God. But there are other times I believe that we can have little underlying things. Maybe it's our attitude. Maybe it's our spirit toward a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe it's, uh, it's a root of bitterness. Maybe it's a, an angry spirit. Maybe it's uh, any number of things that lies beneath the surface. It doesn't always flare up. We're not always even uh, completely aware of it. But it has stolen our appetite for the things of God. And I'm just saying this morning that we need to be a people that are hungry for the things of God. And when I come to a place in my life where that hunger abates, whether it's because of sin in my life or because I'm full of the world, I need to recognize it and I need to fix the problem. I need to seek his healing and the forgiveness of my sin and setting my life and my attitude in order so that my hunger for the things of God will return. I promise you this, as many turtles as I've eaten and Hershey Kisses as I've eaten and, uh, and fried chicken as I've eaten and uh, Bluebell as I've eaten and all the other stuff that we make and uh, whether it's, uh, it's full-fledged meals or whether it's just kind of snacky type food, if I stop eating it for long enough, I get hungry again. And we need to be hungry for God's things. We need to be hungry for a relationship with Him. And if we're going to embrace something in a new year, may it be a desire to be hungry for God. Amen. 
a desire to have God working in my life, to have God inspiring my devotional life, to have God drawing me to himself in prayer. A time when I come and realize that these people here, they see Jesus do this miracle. They hear him preach with power. They see God's blessing upon those that are around him. And they know that their spiritual leaders want Jesus dead. And Jesus withdraws himself. What am I going to do? Well, some of them, no doubt, went home. Perhaps some of them sided with the Pharisees. But many multitudes followed him. And the question this morning simply is this. If you feel that Jesus is withdrawn from your life, if you don't feel as close to him as you once did, are you going to grow content and are you going to accept him drifting away and just adjust back to what you once were? Or are you going to recognize that there's an issue and try to ask God to solve it and be hungry enough for him that you will search him out until you find him? Don't let go. Hang on to him. Cling to him. We see the people follow him. Two thoughts about this. Number one, they were not willing to continue outside of his presence. When they follow him, what they're saying is, Jesus, you've withdrawn. I'm not willing to live out of your presence. I'm going to find you. I'm not letting go of you. I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to latch on to you. And far too many Christians have gotten to the point where they are willing to continue outside of the presence of God in their lives. We're, 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 we've grown content to just live from moments of Jesus' presence to moments, perhaps a revival meeting or a particular church service. We're able to go from one event to another when God shows up in a, in a different way than normal or maybe a different speaker. And it, I've never met a pastor that wasn't amazed by the fact that a guest speaker can come in and preach the same thing that you've been preaching for the last six weeks and no one's responded. And well, somebody else says the same thing in a different way and a different tone of voice and everybody's flooding the altar. What's the difference? The difference is something changed, something shifted that got our focus and attention back on the truth of what was being preached in the Word of God and a hunger renewed. Amen. We're not willing to live outside of His presence. Listen, don't be content to only come into the presence of God from Sunday to Sunday or winter revival to winter revival or missions conference to missions conference. Learn to have a hunger for the presence of God every day of your life. Amen. They weren't willing to live and to continue outside of his presence. The second thing that we see is that they had a hunger to sense his power. What did they want to see? Well, let's just be honest here. His preaching was powerful. He preached as one that had authority. When he preached, there was something different. Not only that, not every preacher that came through called out to people in the crowd that had an ailment and said, stretch your hand out, and it was restored. I mean, I, I, I could look out this morning and I could say, Frankie, pastor, have some hair. <laughs> I could look at others and say, grow a foot. I could look at others and we could just kind of go around and, uh, and be silly. But the reality is, is that when Jesus came, things happened. The same Jesus that met in that synagogue and made things happen is the same Jesus that wants to meet with you every time that we come together. Amen. There's not any difference. He has just as much power. 
He is just he loves you just as much. He sought you just as much. The difference is not in the Jesus that's preaching or that's speaking to hearts or the Jesus that's uh, willing to do miracles and show his power in your life. The difference is the hunger of the people that are hearing the message. I think of Jacob in Genesis 32 whenever he wrestles with the angel, when he wrestles with God and he will not let go until God blesses him. And I would remind you that as God looked at him and said, let me go, he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he hung on all the way until morning. He had to pay a price. He had to expend and exert energy. He had to drain himself emotionally and spiritually. And when he rose up, blessed by God, he walked for the rest of his life with a limp because that was the price of God's power in his life and he was more than willing to pay it. Amen. Amen. Many of the times our problem is that we know what it takes to serve God but we're not willing to pay the price. And if you're a, a second or third generation Christian or you're someone that maybe you're a first generation Christian but you've been saved for 30 or 40 years that you once were fully committed to Christ and fully engaged in ministry and fully uh, in love with the gospel and with God and seeing people saved and your heart yearned for people to be baptized and lives to be changed and now it's just kind of a mild blessing whenever someone actually gets baptized uh, and it really something you've just kind of adjusted and gotten used to. Uh, and, and the reality is, is that many times over uh, we'll say, you know, it's let the young people do that or let this group do that or let this group do that or, uh, you know, I've done my part. I've paid my dues. I've served my time. But Jacob wasn't willing to, to live that way. He was willing to pay the price. Whatever that price was, whether it was wrestling all night in prayer, whether it was walking with a limp or whether it was uh, leading a family, he was willing to pay the price because he was hungry to sense the power of God in his life. And the people followed him. And we see Jesus was withdrawn himself. We see the people followed them. Now what is the result? And the result again in verse 15. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence. And great multitudes followed him. And he healed them all. Everyone. Now listen. This is a great multitude. Everyone doesn't have a withered hand. Everyone doesn't have a lame foot. But they were all healed. They all had some type of infirmity. For some, no doubt it was physical. But for most, it was spiritual. For most, it was a lacking of truth and a a recognition of God and his power in their life. For most, it was a problem of their spirit and their attitude toward things of God. But he healed them all. If you keep yourself around the word of God, if you keep yourself around the people of God, if you keep yourself around the presence of God, he'll heal anything that's wrong with you. So, Pastor, I know a lot of people that had a great disease and they were closer to God than anybody that I've ever known and God still called them home. Yeah, well, it was appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. At some point, it's God's will for us to go home. Amen. God hasn't failed us when we die. He's just simply walked with us through the, the portal of death. He's been right there with us all along. Sometimes it's just God's will for people to die and to go home and be in His presence. It's not a bad thing if you're a Christian. It, it might be a, 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 a frightening thing in the sense of it's unknown, but it shouldn't be a frightening thing as to where, what's going to happen to me. Listen, God doesn't fail people if he doesn't, 
if he doesn't heal them always physically. Sometimes it's his will to use that suffering in the lives of others. But I'll say this tonight, this morning. He, he's never failed anybody in any other way, in any way. He's right there working. He's right there with you. He's meeting every need. He's giving every encouragement that's needed. It's just a matter of, will I accept it? Well, am I searching for him? Am I looking for them? He healed them all. Whatever their ailment, whatever their spiritual deficiency, whatever their sin, besetting sin, whatever it was, if they were hungry, if they wanted to be in his presence, he healed them all. Three thoughts about this and we'll close this morning. Number one, he, they experienced his presence. What did they get when they followed Jesus, when they, when they followed after him? Number one, they, they experienced his presence. My friends, if you ever truly experience the presence of Jesus in your life, you'll never want to leave it. The, the real problem is, is that most Christians in this present age never really experience it. They get a taste of it. But they never fully immerse themselves in him. Don't be content to just have a part of him. Chase after him, pursue him, worship him, pray with him until you experience his presence in your life. Because when you experience his presence in your life, the next thing that happens is you experience his power in your life. What did they experience? They, they experienced his power. That person that you've been trying to reach that they never listened to you and all of a sudden they listened, what happened? God's power. That, that thing that you needed that you couldn't get victory over, that sin in your life that you just had always beat you down no matter how hard you tried and all of a sudden the desire was gone and God delivered you from it and it's not even a temptation anymore. How did that happen? God's power. It's the power of God. You cannot experience the power of God until you walk in the presence of God. And then when we get a hold of the presence of God and you cannot get in the presence of God until you follow after him. Be determined in 2021, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to follow him. And when I feel like he's withdrawn, I'm going, to, I'm going to look for him. I'm going to search him out. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to go back to what I used to be. I'm not going to abandon him because the world's trying to tell me that he's abandoned me. He hasn't abandoned you. Perhaps he's trying to see whether or not you're really committed or not. Perhaps he wants to know if you'll really give your heart for him, if you're really interested in him, or if you really want for him to be a part of your life, or if you just want uh, him to be there as long as his wallet's open. And we come and we understand that he healed them all. And when he did, they experienced his presence, they experienced his power, and then they experienced his blessing. Everyone would say, Pastor, I want God's blessing on my life. Well, good for you. That's great. Are you willing to do what's necessary to be blessed? See, we want blessing, but we want blessing freely. Listen, the only thing that Jesus ever gave you that was for free was salvation. Everything else comes with a price. Everything else comes with a commitment from us. Everything else requires that we desire him. When we come and we understand that we get his blessing, we get his blessing by being in his presence and by experiencing his power. It is just the natural course of the Christian life. Be hungry for him. Well, pastor, but I'm just not hungry. Well, there's something that's sapping your appetite. 
Either you're full of the junk of this world or you're spiritually sick. Get healed. Get hungry. Exercise your faith. Do something for God. Lean on Him. Develop a hunger. Develop an appetite for the things of God. How do they experience that blessing? How did they embrace that power? How did they enjoy His presence? Well, it's real simple. When the Pharisees left the synagogue to take counsel about how they could destroy Jesus, and when Jesus removed Himself from the synagogue, instead of going home, they followed Him. When they could have just said, okay, this is over, show's over, let's go home, they hung on. When it was easy to let go, they grabbed hold tighter. When it was easy to walk away, they clutched him and wouldn't let go of him. I'm just saying this morning that whatever you faced in 2020 and whatever 2021 brings, whether it's good, bad, or somewhere in between, whatever it is, wherever you are, wherever you feel that Jesus is in your life, just be determined that you're going to hang on to him and you're not going to let go. Why? Because when you hang on, you'll experience and come into his presence. He'll show you his power and he'll give you his blessing.